This is the Lean Discovery Applied Podcast with Clinton Sanko, Baker Donaldson's e-discovery officer. In season one of Sitting with the C-Suite, Clinton and guests will explore the e-discovery industry's past, present, and future, largely through the eyes of the executives responsible for the technology and services underlying virtually every e-discovery project. Hello, I'm Clinton Sanko, and welcome to the Lean Discovery series, Sitting with the C-Suite, where we are committed to unraveling e-discovery, one interview at a time. Today, we are joined by Barry Dark, CEO of Legility. Join me in welcoming Barry to the show. Thanks, Clinton. Really excited to be part of the series. Thanks for the invitation, um, and for sure, appreciate the long-term partnership with Baker. Uh, happy to be here today and look forward to the discussion. As you just hinted in, in uh, your response there, Barry, I, I know the history of Legility pretty well from the days it started as Council on Call, and we're going to talk a lot about that today and kind of go through some of the various mergers and acquisitions, specifically the ones that you've led underneath your tenure as CEO. I wanted to start, though, for our listeners with you giving a, just a general lay of the land of Legility in May of 2020. Kind of give us a sense of the company and the services that you provide. Yeah, for sure. So at Legility, uh, we're, we're a tech-enabled legal services company. Uh, we like to use the term new law company, but, but we'll answer to ALSP. Um, what new law means from our perspective is it speaks not only to the cost benefit that ALSPs have made their name on, uh, but more importantly, to improving process flows and leveraging technology to get better outcomes. Uh, we offer a broad uh, base of solutions. We partner with both corporate councils and law firms. Both constituencies are important to us strategically. Uh, when you get down to what we do, there's probably three things to mention. E-discovery for sure. Uh, we offer a full range of e-discovery solutions across the EDRM on a global basis. Uh, we started with flexible legal talent. We called it secondment back in the day. Um, and it's really tapping into the gig economy for lawyers. So providing lawyers for short, medium, or long-term assignments, again, both to corporations and to law firms. And then lastly, we provide more nuanced solutions in what we call enterprise legal solutions. And this is really taking our talent, our flexible legal talent, our attorneys, and applying everything we've learned in the world of e-discovery. So how to use process, how to leverage technology to work through more complicated sort of challenges. Think regulatory compliance, M&A due diligence, contract outsourcing, those type of things. So those are the things that we do as a company. And Barry, when you say ALSPs, you mean alternative legal service providers, just for our listeners who may not be familiar. That's correct, ALSPs. Yeah, that's the original sort of thinking and, and terminology that was used primarily when this was more of a, what I think of as a labor arbitrage play of how to find a less expensive sources of resources. I think the new law sort of perspective, that's a component of it, but it's also very important to rethink the process and how to leverage technology in the process. So when you say labor arbitrage, you mean you get an attorney for a lower rate than would otherwise be doing it, whereas the new law concept is trying to bring the application of process and the efficiencies of process as well as leveraging to the fullest the technology suites that are available uh, to make the process better as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a natural evolution. So the first step, obviously, is really to try to find, you know, sort of corporate councils as well as law firms where they can really get the best economics. 
but then as we think, especially in more complex situations such as regulatory compliance or, or projects that require you to really work through a quantum of data, uh, you want to think about what's the right process to do that and are there any enabling technologies that you can bring into the, to the, uh, to the process as well. Barry, as I, as I prepared for today, I was intrigued by your background. I mean, you, you're a 30-year veteran of the technology space, you know, consulting for many years, it seems, in the banking technology sector, working globally. I mean, United, the United Kingdom, uh, it seems like Germany. Give us some perspective for our listeners. Just give us a background of your career prior to you starting as the CEO of Legility. Kind of where was Barry Dark at that point? And kind of give us a perspective on your career. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, yeah, and, and for sure, it's not the most direct path into legal services, but there is a connection. I promise we'll get to it in the end. Um, yeah, essentially, Clint and I had a long career in fintech uh, that stands for financial technology, mainly working with large global banks. And so for the viewers, what, what does that really mean? Um, you should think about enterprise software to, to, to support a bank. Um, outsourcing of those complicated computing environments, managed services, cloud computing, consulting professional services, um, a fairly complex operating environment. And, and it's something that I did spend my entire career on, a fascinating journey to me, which, which may tell your, your listeners a little bit about me. Um, what was exciting about it um, to reflect on um, is really the amount of massive change that occurred in banking over the span of my career. Um, and this was change that was largely driven by advances in automation, um, a focus on improving operational excellence and a shift in engagement models with key providers and partners. And I think that's the bit uh, that really translates to the legal space as legal is now in the middle of the same transformation journey um, personally, it was also just an incredible life experience, right? For me, essentially spending half my career in foreign locations. Um, as these things go, I had an opportunity to do an initial six-month assignment uh, that morphed into over 13 years abroad, uh, living in some great spaces, um, Munich, London, traveled all over the world. Um, I've always had a fascination with seeing and understanding the world and looking back, I take it on as a really unique and special experience. So. May of 2017, the opportunity to become the CEO of what was then Council on Call and is now Legility, what was it about that opportunity given your background in FinTech? What was it about that opportunity that attracted you as a, as a natural evolution for your career? Yeah, it's a, great, it's a great question. My experience candidly with legal up to that point was always tangential in nature. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I was as I describe myself, a heavy consumer of legal services while running businesses. Um, so think, you know, complex servicing arrangements, outsourcing, M&A deals, red compliance, even some litigation. So often sort of side by side at the table as the bridge on the business side, working with attorneys, you know, getting through these important parts of running a corporation. So. Um, you know, following my accidental decade and a half abroad, I originally came in as a consultant, um, helping the shareholders of what then was counsel and call, think through how to best leverage the opportunities in legal, considering the macro trends of change, automation, operational principles, and outsourcing. And this is where I really saw an incredible similarity of what I had previously lived for 30 years. 
um, automation was finally catching up with, with legal. Um, when you think about it, I didn't admit it at the time, but automation is fairly straightforward in banking because most things are number-based, uh, but legal was just hard, right? So it's natural that it took a while for automation to really catch on at legal. E-discovery was obviously an early use case of that. Uh, there was also more focus on improving operational principles, measuring things, managing the outcomes, and it all felt very familiar. Um, it was, so it was exciting to do something quite special, uh, you know, to be a small part of building out what we think are market-leading capabilities in e-discovery, and then to extrapolate that, yeah, across non-litigation domains uh, that are important to GCs. I'm very lucky to have a strong, passionate team when I got there. Uh, we're very excited about leading the change, being the future of law. And it was great to have a financial partner that also understood the value that we could create over the long term with the right investments in the company. So over the past three years now, uh, you know, kind of comparing the then to the now, what surprised you the most in your role as CEO as you've kind of watched the evolution of both the legal industry over the past three years as well as the evolution of your company? Yeah, great question. And maybe maybe a, a couple of answers there. I think on the one hand, I found it fascinating, candidly, as an outsider, uh, to the extent that technology was already deployed for e-discovery when I when I got here, right? So I love these situations, um, you know, where business function, in this case litigation, is confronted with a problem that literally forces innovation, right? So it was interesting to see how review platforms emerged as a necessity to solve this incredible growth in electronic data that required review. Um, I think as a corollary to that, you know, thinking of how things are automated, um, it's normal to approach an emerging technology from the bias of your current manual process flows, right? So often you're automating something that was previously done manually. <laughs> when you're done with it, you figure out, well, maybe there was a more optimal way to do it. So I think, uh, with this in mind, you know, it's fascinating to see some of the new enabling tech that's coming into the e-discovery ecosystem. We have a product called Invise that we'll come on to later. There's some other um, solutions that are in the marketplace that are incredibly helpful in optimizing the process and the outcome of e-discovery. Um, another parallel to other industries that I, that, I, that I really like is, you know, I love to see the focus on fundamental data strategies. Um, we've gained so much uh, through um, social collaboration technologies over the year. Think about email and, and all those sort of um, additional social collaboration technologies. Um, and this continues to accelerate. Um, however, the unintentional side effect is a massive amounts of data. And as an organization, I think it's really important to step back and to have a strategic think about your data strategies, including data retention in the context of your risk and spend tolerances. Um, it's kind of similar if you think about it to traditional QA principles, right? If you go back to sort of manufacturing basics, the most cost-effective place to solve a product defect is in the design, design phase, right? Certainly prior to production and distribution. Uh, the same concept applies to thinking about the proliferation of corporate data. So I think that's a real interesting thing to, to see evolve in the industry. Barry, one of the things that's always been important to me in working with 
our, our various partners as a law firm is kind of understanding the people that you're working with. And, you know, with a 30-year history, a global history in management and leadership positions, what, what kind of has spilled over into your leadership style of, of legility from those experiences, those global experiences in the fintech space? Like what, what, what portions of those would you say that you've adopted uh, in terms of your leadership style of legility? That's yeah, a great question, and 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 actually, I think that it's quite transferable. A handful of things I would mention, you know, for sure, I think client focus and collaboration, you know, remains the primary driving force. And this is much more than hey, are we doing a good job? I think it's working side by side, listening, learning, adapting to the uniqueness of every engagement, seeing where there are straight lines throughout. Um, as well, I think openness to change is table stakes for an environment like ours that is in the midst of such a, uh, you know, in a tremendous innovation and disruption cycle. Um, I think, you know, understanding your current state and understanding the ongoing need to drive for efficiencies, uh, which we're also seeing play out in legal costs, process and outcome. Um, and then I'd also mention, look, I really, I really love working with high, highly intellectual, dare I say, opinionated <laughs> professionals. Um, I've had the benefit of that throughout my career in a different domain and especially enjoy that in the legal field, which I think is full of so much talent and capability. And the challenges of legal are in many cases quite, uh, quite difficult, right? especially love, you know, working with teams that have the passion for change. And that's what I found when I landed here, uh, getting people joined up, thinking and direction, targeting more aspirational strategy. It's just an incredible energizing sort of experience for all of us. So Barry, since you took over in May of 2017, you've been a busy CEO with three mergers and acquisitions that you've uh, overseen uh, in your time. Uh, the first one, it was, I remember seeing the announcement way back when, and I was like, wait a second, there's a new CEO, and you were announcing at that point the acquisition of DSI, which is in, in our world in Tennessee, a very well-known uh, provider of uh, e-discovery technology services. And of course, Council on Call at that point in time was a well-known provider of review and secondment services. And when, when it was announced, you said at the time, and this is a, this is a quote from, from you at that time, we will leverage DSI's unique blend of technology expertise and industry insights to drive further automation in order to provide additional value for our clients. DSI at that time was well-known kind of for the employee engagement programs that it had featured over time. And uh, so you're mixing these two cultures. Tell me a little bit about any integration challenges that you had to overcome and kind of the, in, the innovations that have arisen out of that, uh, out of that merger of those, two, of those two entities. Yeah, great question, Clinton. And a good note to you know, be careful about what you write down because someone might actually go back and read it at some point. Um, look, I got here in, in May of 2017. We ended up um, buying DSI in September a few months later. So, you know, when I, when I arrived, I really fell in love with the team and the company. There was really something about the culture, the passion that was super exciting to be a part of. Um, you know, that said, we felt from day one that there was a larger way for us to drive value for customers uh, by rapidly moving to a more comprehensive solution set. And we needed the skill sets to execute on this strategy. Uh, we were participating in a huge change event in the legal industry. 
that was feeding off of advancements, mainly in technology innovation and operational improvements. We, at the time, were essentially what I called the people side of the business. Um, so think of the right side of the EDRM, and in the case of managed review, think about flexible legal talent. Um, this in mind, there were really two drivers pulling DSI into the family. First of all, we knew them well. We really, really loved those guys, right? We were both, as you mentioned, companies located in Nashville. Uh, we often partnered. We didn't have a commercial arrangement. We just ended up at the same clients and I think had a mutual respect towards how we thought about customer engagement and experience. Um, they were a great match because they only did the tech part of eDiscovery, right? So the fit with our managed review function was perfect and fairly easy to your point to work through from an integration perspective. Um, out of the gate, it gave us really an end-to-end -end capability for e-discovery, which we believe drives consistency of experience and tremendous value for customers. Um, secondly, I think going back to what I was thinking at the time, which was really important for us, it increased what I called our tech DNA that allowed us to consider how to leverage technology, not only in e-discovery, but in other non-litigation domains especially considering the considerable rise of AI in more BAU or business as usual functions for corporate councils, not e-discovery, right? And this to me was a secret sauce that really underscored the importance of the acquisition. So what I hear in that answer is it's a, it's a real service alignment where you're able to increase your services by, by bringing in this, this, new this new provider arm, essentially. Uh, subsequent to that, in August of 2019, you 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 acquired iControl ESI, and iControl I, I understood had a review platform called Recensio, and a predictive analytics tool. Going to your prior point about artificial intelligence called Invise, and here again, you know, with the uh, with the quotes from the past of Barry Dark, uh, <laughs> at that point, the you stated. Quote, increasing our capabilities in e-discovery is an important component of our broader legal operations strategy, and we will continue to look for ways to leverage lessons learned in e-discovery to drive efficiencies and process improvements in other non-litigation legal domains at the intersection of people, process, and technology. I'm interested, now that you look back a couple of years later, Tell me a little bit about how you have used those technologies in both litigation and non-litigation uh, sectors in order to improve that client experience and bring that value. Yeah, great, great question. I think, look, just as DSI was a perfect fit for Legility at the time, <clears throat> iControl added great capabilities around our e-discovery footprint and team. We were very excited about their proprietary tech stack. Uh, they do have a review platform or Sensio, which is great. They are also a large user of Relativity. So we love the fact that they, like us, were platform independent. Um, we purposely advocate for a strategy of platform independence, understanding that we need to be agile and use technology preferred by our clients, but most importantly, be able to sit with clients and really find the right tool for the right matter. Uh, because matters are unique and the tools they um, should be using may be unique as well. Um, that said, Invise, we think, is, is really a market-leading predictive coding AI engine, and we're finding a, a lot of success in using that to, to drive more efficient review projects, which ultimately reduces the total cost of ownership for clients, uh, which is important. 
Um, the cool thing about e-discovery, um, if I'm allowed to say e-discovery is cool, right, is that it's, I think, really a blueprint for how to leverage technology in the legal domain for non-litigation purposes. Yeah, so we're finding actually lots of opportunities to leverage not only the eye control tools, but industry standard tools. Really anytime you know, you're faced with a problem where quantums of data need to be housed, managed, manipulated, reviewed, um, there's a lot to learn in terms of our e-discovery practices and a lot of value out of having these tool sets um, at your disposal. I think we can safely on this particular program say that e-discovery is cool, Barry. I think that that's okay. probably okay. <laughs> All right, uh, last acquisition question and last acquisition quote. I'm not going to promise it's the last quote yet, but most recently, Legility, under your leadership, acquired a company called Inventus in January of 2020. Um, in addition to expanding your markets outside the United States, which I'm sure given your kind of global background was probably something that was high on your list to do in your tenure, uh, this transaction um, it was was accompanied with a press release where you stated that this combination creates tremendous value for our customers through the broader set of services that we can offer together and the upgraded capabilities coming from the combined team. So we've talked a little bit about the acquisition of, of DSI and then the, some of the proprietary tools that you acquired in that middle acquisition. Tell us a little bit about kind of what you saw from the tech stack of Inventus or from the, the service arm of Inventus that gave you this confidence to say that you think this is going to create even more value uh, to, to your company and to your clients. In the tech part of my career, I had a lot of experience with M&A. So, you know, think tens of deals as a strategic buyer, right? So often involved uh, both on the deal side, but more importantly on the integration and the operational side. So, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's important to, to, to say, you know, in this process at Legility, we are very actually focused on thinking quite strategically about um, buying companies that are the right fit. So DSI was a perfect fit in terms of getting us to the left side of EDRM and, and you know, iControl had some specific sort of capabilities about relativity and, and more importantly, these really cool tools, yeah. Um, so Inventus, Inventus, you know, candidly, in all my experience, I've never found a better match than what I saw between Legility and Inventus. It was really a step change for us. Um, and so kind of walking through that. So as you mentioned, geographically, it was incredibly complimentary, right? So both in the U.S., we were in different parts of the U.S., um, and, and importantly, globally as well. This gives us really coverage for both corporate clients who tend to be global, um, and many law firms who are, who are global as well. And I think it, it, was a, it was an important point that customers have been advocating for us expanding into non-US markets for some time. So that was an important step, step for us. Um, their relativity shop, right? So the relativity expertise um, was, was really important for us. Again, our strategy advocates platform independence, but um, this combination gave us really global critical mass with what is the market leading provider with strong domain expertise. Um, when we look at tools like Invise and some of the tools that we previously had, Inventus brought some, some additional tools that were completely complementary, right? Um, in terms of visualizing the data analytics, managing the process flow more effectively. And so they're incredibly complementary uh, to, uh, to, to what we had previously. 
Um, like us, they were also working with clients or starting to work with clients in sort of non-litigation work. Again, leveraging sort of the e-discovery practices. So think reg compliance, and this was a perfect fit um, for us um, with our enterprise legal solutions group. Um, it's it's hard to imagine. It's actually only been five months. I mean, it feels like we've been together for a long time. It's just a great fit. Obviously, a lot has happened in the world in the past five months, um, which I think has distorted our concept of time. But look, as you would imagine, I think the initial steps of any integration is to get through the combination process and maximize best practices across a broader organization. And my mantra is to do no harm. Um, we've made tremendous progress and are essentially completely finished with the heavy lifting of the integration. Uh, we've had very good engagement across the broader customer footprint to provide new services, in some cases, upgrade service offering. The client reaction has been very, very positive because of the extension of our capabilities. Um, and we're very excited to be uh, relaunching the Legility brand in a few weeks now. We'll have a new, fresh digital footprint, so stay tuned for that. Speaking of the Legility brand, uh, after the DSI acquisition, I think that the Legility brand came out in roughly 2018, again, under your leadership. And one of the comments that was made, you know, was that the Legility rebranding was really meant to just remind clients in the marketplace of the commitment of your company to innovation generally. And it's always an interesting question to understand, what do you do as the leader of Legility to kind of infuse that commitment to innovation, both in the corporate DNA as well as in the employee DNA on a regular kind of day-to-day -day basis being committed to innovation. What, what steps have you taken to kind of back up that promise and that brand of commitment to innovation? Yeah, I appreciate that, uh, Clint. Look, we love the name Legility since you uh, brought it up. It's a cool name, legal plus agility. We think it's kind of self-descriptive. Uh, just a perfect fit for us. Uh, the new name, candidly, was planned from day one, uh, mainly to reflect our broader strategy as a new law company. Um, and we fully take on, uh, to your point, that we exist today as a company because we innovated sort of 20 years ago in a functional area, legal, that was candidly a little bit slow to change. Um, Commitment to innovation remains a core value, one of our four core values that we never want to lose sight of. Um, that doesn't mean that we will be spending tons of capital trying to build the best mousetrap. Um, it's, it's actually fantastic that there is a ton of investment that's going into legal technology currently. Um, we believe our place is to aggregate expertise stay close, collaborate with clients, and together try to anticipate where the market's going and be a part of the ecosystem, both within house legal and law firms. And that, I think, is our part in participating in the innovation cycle. You're speaking of the innovation cycle, in, in many ways, we were all kind of struck by surprise in March with the, with the COVID pandemic. And you know, you're seeing a lot of change with court deadlines being extended. Of course, everybody's trying to do more with less and looking to get cases back on track, but be mindful of, you know, in certain cases and in certain industries, to decrease resources to do so. What are you seeing your proactive clients do specifically within the e-discovery space to address these these new challenges that we face with e-discovery and having to be compliant with our e-discovery obligations, but recognizing the impact of this pandemic. 
Yeah, it was absolutely amazing, to your point, to see how the world has changed so dramatically in such a short window. Um, and it's also been incredible to see so many organizations just manage through that intense change um, as just part of the job. So Agile, uh, Agility, Agile is in our DNA, it's in our name. And so we were able to adapt very quickly. Uh, remote work is a big uh, point of discussion and shifting to remote work was obvious for everyone, fairly straightforward for us since we already use that quite a bit. Um, I think, you know, some of the things that we saw um, around that was an important point here is obviously extra focus on security, uh, the remote work environment. We have unique protocols and some tools to allow this. And I think clients have certainly taken this on as well as a very important sort of starting point for remote work. Um, it's been interesting to see how, you know, everyone is adapted to the ways that we work. Yeah, in a remote environment, it has really kind of changed things of um, of how you get stuff done as compared to when you had a lot of people in one physical location and the ways to collaborate and interact were uh, were much more human and face to face. Um, but I think we've learned from that. We've adapted in some ways. We've compensated for any drawbacks with some advantages that don't come in the face to face sort of world. Um, for sure, remote working from our perspective is here to stay um, in some form for a long time. Um, and I think we've collectively had an opportunity uh, to embrace that. Um, you know, beyond COVID, you know, we're other seeing other changes in the market um, that I think are that I think are interesting, you know, for some clients that I think are particularly forward thinking. We love how they are establishing uh, forcing maybe uh, collaboration around the ecosystem of providers especially encouraging collaboration across law firms and new law companies, right? And I uh, really love that, uh, that concept. Um, it continues to be a big move towards managed services engagements, which is, of course, part of our business. Um, and as you know, Clint, this is a logical evolution of the e-discovery business model to lock in kind of long-term providers and trading transactional volatility for economics. Um, and then I think we've also seen continued focus on data strategies. Uh, this is the right place to consider not only for costs, but risk tolerances. The remote work really revolution that we've had over the last several months has affected a lot of different things, you know, virtual meetings, even this interview series is being done via WebEx as opposed to in person like we might have done in the past. But Legility in particular is well known for its annual symposium for in-house counsel really meant to be a, uh, except for, for y'all, a vendor-free space for them to exchange ideas about best practices and what they're seeing and experience in the marketplace. And my understanding is that this year, you had to move that symposium to a remote format. Tell us a little bit about how that worked and what you saw as maybe some of the good points of that and maybe some of the things that, that the participants missed. Yeah, look, for sure. It was it was a heartbreaking decision to call off um, the symposium in person, but of course, the right call uh, considering the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, look, it's a unique Nashville experience that is really special for us and our clients. I've been to three of them at this point um, as a CEO, and um, we've had clients candidly that have been to every one of these over the past 11 years. It started off as just a simple roundtable discussion. I think last year we had 200-ish people uh, mainly sort of capped out because of just room blocks and hotels, et cetera. So, and look, it's hard to replace the information sharing that can occur in a Broadway honky-tonk at midnight. 
Yeah. Um, so we can't wait to see everyone back in Nashville soon and are hoping to reconvene sort of the tradition um, in 2021. Um, however, we're managing through to your point, um, you know, leveraging social distancing, reducing travel. And it's really been good to see how people are engaging in distance activities, webinars, et cetera. Um, while we miss the interpersonal interactions that come with symposium, uh, we are able to provide a lot of very meaningful content and more bite-sized pieces. And in many ways, um, I think it's been more inclusive. More people can participate in, 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 in single sessions or multiple sessions as they can fit them more easily into their schedule and it doesn't require taking time out to travel and, and, and be on the road for a couple of days. So Barry, kind of looking forward for a few minutes here, Give me um, give me a couple of predictions, if you would. You can pick the time period. You know, if you want to go six months, twelve months, eighteen months, whatever whatever makes sense for you. What do you predict is going to happen in that time period within e-discovery technology and services, particularly, and then just more generally with legal technology, which is obviously you've referenced several times. The passion of Legility is not just to apply things to litigation, but also in the non-litigation section. So. Give me give me a couple of predictions that we can uh, that we can that we can take away. Yeah, it's a good one. I'll, I'll, I'll limit it to a couple. I think for e-discovery first, I think we'll continue to see a flight to quality, yeah, a flight to security, um, and I think a shift towards more holistic solutions that can drive better outcomes and be attentive to spend and you know speaking specifically to maybe managed services type of arrangements. Um, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think there'll be continued focus on the left side of the EDRM, specifically information governance and data strategy uh, points. Um, I think that uh, people are starting to really understand that's that's a real um, game changer to focus on that. Um, outside of e-discovery, again, I think you'll see a tremendous amount of innovation. There's a ton of capital uh, that's looking for ways to improve what might be the last holdout of the corporate of the corporation when it comes to tech saturation. Um, and ultimately, look, this is good for all of us as we get the access to these tools and we can leverage these tools as we find ways to you know redirect talent. Um, it gives us ways to redirect talent towards more strategic or fulfilling activities as technology consumes more rote activities. Barry, honing in for a minute, if you if you were to focus on an in-house legal, a, an in-house attorney that was responsible for managing the litigation spend, what if you were measuring for them and just saying, look, here's where I'd focus my efforts, what are the one or two things that you would tell them you should focus your efforts here to reduce your litigation spend and to bring more value to your to your management of the, of the overall portfolio, whether that be you know faster resolution of matters, getting to the you know getting to the case merits quicker, or, or just just overall, what would you suggest to them would be the key things that you would focus on? Yeah, I think a few things. I think you know, again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Clinton, I, th I think about the end to end sort of spend, um, and so kind of starting at you know your data footprint, right? So I think it is important really to step back and be thoughtful about what is your data strategy as a, as a corporation and as a law uh, department? Um, and what is your risk and cost tolerances? Um, what do you wanna do in terms of, of, of putting some sort of parameters around your sort of data footprint? So reducing data, right? So you've got less, uh, less going through the pipe as it were. 
Um, I think secondarily, there's a lot of really cool tech enablers, right? So really kind of leaning into AI capabilities, sort of uh, predictive coding tools, and not only in Vise, but other things that are in the market, sort of Cal type models, uh, continuous active learning models, I think are fantastic. Um, and then I think, you know, uh, probably consolidation of providers, right? So aggregating your spend to drive price leverage uh, with providers which ultimately is, is good for providers as they get commitment around revenue and the predictability allows them to make longer term investment decisions. So that's more of the managed services uh, type of discussion. So these are, these are three of my favorite questions that we're getting to next, Barry. So first, who is a business leader that you admire and what are the particular qualities about that business leader that you admire? Right, great, great question, and impossible to answer. So, um, look, it, it may be it may be predictable, right? So, growing up in tech, right? Um, so, it may be predictable to point to an innovator such as Steve Jobs, right? And and everything that we got out of his his brain and his 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 uh, his effort, right? Um, I think also, you know, someone who created incredibly operational efficiencies for all of us. Bill Gates, you know, in, in terms of office suite, and if you really reflect of how that's changed our productivity and, and our lives. Um, and of course, you know, it's hard to leave Jeff Bezos out of that, you know, the guy who thinks big and just finds a different way for us to do what we were doing all of our lives. <laughs> um, but to be honest with you, uh, you know, the leaders I think who've made the most impact in my life are people you've never heard of, right? And these are people that I've worked for and with along the journey. And I, you know, I find myself only now, you know, recognizing that you pick up little pieces of people through your experiences, mannerisms, ways of working through difficult situations, how you negotiate sort of contracts or situations, in some cases, how not to do something, <laughs> I think are things that you learn along the way. And, and these are the things that probably are the most valued to me. Um, and candidly, I try to remember that every day, just in case someone is actually looking to me in this in the same way. All right, the second question is, what is the last podcast that you listen to, if at all? And tell us even if it is a guilty pleasure podcast. Man, yeah, great question. It, to tell you the truth, I'm not listening to so many podcasts these days as I'm not in my car much. And my driving, especially distances, was where I usually listen to podcasts. But my standard favorite um, is Hidden Brain, NPR Hidden Brain. Um, if you're familiar with that, Shankar Vedantam, um, who's also um, at Slate, he just does an incredible job, I think, of going deep into topics um, that you probably would never have thought of with just the right level of storytelling. So it's this combination of science and storytelling. And if you haven't seen any of his or, or heard any of his podcasts, you really should give it a try. It's a, it's a far a sort of reaching list of topics um, that are completely under, unrelated and a good sort of 45 minute deep dive into something that you probably never thought about that, that's, that he can mind, make very, very interesting. All right, third question is, what's the last book you read, fiction or nonfiction, that you would actually recommend to something that you just, you just couldn't put it down? Right, so this may be um, maybe not the best plug, right? But I was reading actually recently the latest Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, Malcolm Gladwell is a is a favorite of mine. Talking to strangers, um, 
and got about halfway through it and and for some reason was sidetracked back to my favorite, which is Outliers, uh, which you're probably familiar with. Um, it may be sort of 10 years old at this point. Um, if if readers or people haven't read it, it's definitely worth the read. And if you have read it some time ago, it's worth the reread. Um, I love in the book how he demonstrates really, you know, what happens at the intersection of opportunity with just plain hard work. I think the way he describes it and the way he weaves the story is just really, really fascinating. Um, he's got a great and unique voice, uh, tells a real interesting story, somehow fitting in to the same book, stories and similarities between the Beatles, professional Canadian hockey players, Bill Gates, Joe Flom, all in the same book, kind of with the same underlying principles. It's incredible insight about topics you may have never really considered. So highly recommend Outliers, but candidly anything by Malcolm Gladwell. The last question, Barry, what's, what's one great question that I should have asked you that wasn't in, in, my, in my questions? Yeah, that is a great question. And I think, uh, and, and, and since I didn't answer it, Clinton, um, you know, I got to say that you just asked every question that I could think of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Lean Discovery Applied Podcast, Season 1, Sitting with the C-Suite. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. You can also visit us online at www.leandiscoveryblog.com where we have additional content and videos of the interviews. Lean Discovery Applied is hosted by Clinton Sanko, eDiscovery Officer of Baker Donaldson. This program is not intended as an endorsement and does not constitute legal advice. Thanks to Baker Donaldson, a leader in innovative legal services, for supporting this podcast. To the guests and to you, the listener. See you next time.